The Start. On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us today on what is going to be an emotional day for a variety of reasons, because we want to, of course, celebrate and mark the anniversary, the 10th anniversary of the day when we learned the Winnipeg Jets are coming back to Winnipeg. But we also uh, are sad today as tributes continue to pour in after the discovery of what's believed to be the remains of 215 children buried at a residential school in Kamloops, B.C. But then we're also happy. I'm super happy on something that happened on Saturday for me. I got my second vaccine. I wasn't expecting that on Saturday. And Greg, the Twin Towers got their vaccines over the weekend. They did. They got their first shot. And a shout-out to the folks uh, working at uh, the Selkirk uh, vaccination location. They did a tremendous job of uh, directing everyone, keeping everybody uh, socially distanced, informing the kids of what was going on and what they might deal with. So, uh, yes, an absolute uh, mixed emotions weekend for us here at our household, Loren. Yeah, and I, you know... The, the the headlines about the 215 bodies of 215 kids found in Kamloops at a residential school had so many reacting right across the country. And so there's really important conversations to be had out of that because we're looking back, but we're also, you know, many people call this a, a dark chapter in Manitoba's history, but it's living history for so many people. The legacy of that lives on. And so it's very raw and very real for many Canadians, many Manitobans. And so we're going to get into that more in the next segment and also speak to Indigenous advocate Michael Redhead Champagne at 707. We really want to make sure we're talking about this because it's important to ask the questions that are being asked. Well, what does this mean for other schools? Is there Are there more discoveries like that out there to be made? What do we do with this information? How do we digest and absorb and ask the right questions to make sure we're all learning from it? And so that's one of the really important stories to get to today, as is COVID. Man, 16 months later now, one of the headlines that stood out again for me over the weekend was the fact that the ICU, Manitoba's ICUs, continue to break records and obviously not in positive ways. The number of people admitted to ICU in a 24-hour period over the weekend represents the highest number of admissions to date ever. So over 24 hours, there are 17 COVID patients went into the ICU. They're far above their capacity. We know it's a major issue. People are still being shipped out of province. And so, of course, as you mentioned, the roller coaster, that's the down. There's the ups of the vaccines, the downs of the, the numbers that we're continuing to see in hospital. And then, of course, all the other news that we're going to get to, to Brett, Brett today, including, of course, an important anniversary for thousands of Manitobans. Ten years ago today, the streets of Winnipeg erupted with pure joy on these words from True North Sports and Entertainment Chair Mark Chipman. I am excited beyond words to announce our purchase of the Atlanta Thrashers. What an incredible day. What an incredible memory. I was in Bell MTS Place, MTS Place at the time. Hundreds of people in the rotunda and that main entrance on Portage Avenue and Donald watching on the monitors. The stairs all the way up to the second level were filled, jam-packed with people in anticipation of that announcement. We did a couple of shows. In fact, that night co-hosted the Nighthawk with Jeff Courier. We did shows from 
uh, MTS place, I think, for the rest of the week as the drive to 13,000 season ticket holders began in earnest basically the next day as part of that announcement. Winnipeg, it was told, needed to step up if this was going to work. And boy, did Manitobans ever step up. It um, Well, it is really the anniversary of the third happiest day of my life. I, I have to be very honest about that. That's good. I like the honesty. And I, and I think everyone, ha- so many people have a memory of where they were 10 years ago today. I remember my husband <laughs> coming home from work. He said, yeah, I just, I don't think we're working today, right? Like we're going to go to the forks. That's how this is happening. So packed up our then like eight month old son, went down to the forks. Everybody, we wanted to be part of the celebration. And of course, as you mentioned, the next day, the mad dash for those season tickets and everybody lined up on their laptops. But May 31st, 2011, of course, there was that excitement on the streets, Greg, but Jets president of hockey operations Craig Heisinger says the deal to bring the Atlanta Thrashers to Winnipeg it actually wasn't officially signed and sealed until the morning the announcement was made there had been a lot of time and effort put in and and the rug had been pulled out more than once so Mm -hmm. you kept your emotions I mean pretty close to your chest and even going to bed the the night on May 30th I I never felt it was done because I, I never thought it was done you know it was done in the morning of the 31st wasn't done until the morning of the 31st. That might have just been the feeling. You'd, until you saw Gary Bettman, the images of him, of him walking down the hallway, until those words were said, many didn't believe it. But Gary Bettman says he was in Winnipeg for one reason only that day, and he shared some of his memories with Global News. I could feel the energy. I could see the excitement. As we were driving from the airport, I was thinking to myself, it was great to be back. And... It didn't need to be a scripted moment. How good a moment this was, how emotional it was for everybody, the excitement, the happiness, it was all palpable. And really, I just wanted to enjoy that moment with all of the people that were so excited that we were coming back. Of course, the people had gathered in Portage in Maine a few nights before as news leaked out that this deal was going to happen. I amongst them. I'll never forget watching the Stanley Cup finals game between Vancouver and Boston. And uh, the interpretation was that Gary Bettman saw this report from the Globe and Mail on his phone and sort of lost it because, of course, the deal was not done. But that didn't stop Winnipeggers of all ages, of all generations, from heading down to Portage and Maine to celebrate. And I had been to Blood Vein First Nation on the Friday, I think it would have been the 27th, and the Premier was with us on this tour of the proposed UNESCO World Heritage Site, and all eyes were on the Premier because it was sort of suggested, you know, he might have to leave at a moment's notice based on what was going on with these negotiations uh, with Atlanta and the NHL. And of course, you too played a concert on the 29th at Winnipeg Stadium, And in retrospect, uh, one of the stories that comes out of that was that perhaps Bono was going to announce that (laughs) to the 45 or 50,000 people at at Winnipeg Stadium. So all sorts of folklore coming out and memories uh, flooding back around those times back in 2011 and the return of the NHL to Winnipeg. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb heads up a couple of grand prize announcements today. We have the grand prize announcement of a floor makeover from Total Flooring, a $2,500 floor makeover from Total Flooring. We are going to do that at 8.45. 
And then today, you know, on Hal Anderson Afternoons, Hal's Kitchen Grand Prize announcement. One lucky qualifier will win a $5,000 kitchen makeover by Kitchens Today, a division of Winnipeg Custom Countertops and Cabinets. So that's some exciting stuff. A couple of big grand prize announcements today on the big station CJOB. We've also got, of course, a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza that we are going to give away just after 6.45 because, of course, we're celebrating the... Well, pardon me. We're giving it away at 9.15. We're talking about it in our next segment. Today's the 10th anniversary Winnipeg Jets announcement when it was made official. Because, see, Greg, I had forgotten. You you referenced the Portage in Maine party, that kind of yes. impromptu party. I was at the King's Head that night with some friends, and people started freaking out. And uh, I said, what's going on? And one of my buddies says, the Jets are coming back. So, like, we all flooded out into the streets, and suddenly there was this massive party at Portage and Maine. But I forgot that that wasn't the day that it was official. It was just the leak. So Yeah, Steve, Stephen Brunt uh, broke the news, and uh, it appeared in the Globe and Mail, and it was all over the Internet. And, of course, this had come on the heels of a bunch of different rumors. You might remember that the Phoenix Coyotes uh, at the time, uh, now Arizona Coyotes, uh, were rumored to perhaps be be on their way back to Winnipeg as a, an arena deal was falling apart there. And uh, Mark Chipman, in fact, uh, revealed in one of the spectacular specials that were produced throughout the year on the TV broadcast that there was a deal in place for the uh, for the Coyotes to move back to Winnipeg. And then, of course, at the last minute, that was that was pulled back and. And rumors of Atlanta coming to Winnipeg probably started in 2008, 2009, as that franchise, that team struggled mightily at the gate. They struggled on the ice. And so when uh, when things fell through in Arizona, a lot of people thought, oh, boy, that's it for a little while. And then the air and then the Atlanta thing came on the scene quite quickly and almost out of nowhere for a lot of people. And I would say, Loren, that it wasn't really until that Gary Bettman Greg Selinger, Mark Chipman uh, announcement, and so many more. David Thompson, of course, was here for that. I don't think until May 31st, a vast majority of Manitobans even believed it was possible the NHL would return to Winnipeg. Well, you heard all the stories and the reports and confirmed reports and sources say, and the announcement's going to happen this day, but you needed to hear it, right? You needed to hear Gary Bettman say, yep, it's true. You needed to hear Mark Chippen announce that the Thrashers were moving to Winnipeg. You needed to see them in the room together. And then, of course, that led to the then-mayor, Sam Cates, basically dancing in the streets. I mean, you needed to see it all. And I've got a clip here, that I want to play from uh, Craig Heisinger, who is, of course, the Winnipeg Jets president of hockey operations. And he said, for all the reasons you basically just mentioned, Greg, you know, the speculation, the rumors, the ups and downs fans had been through, that they really wanted to keep everything as much as possible to themselves for the sake of fans. Okay, and before we get to that, I'll just say I'm I'm experiencing technical ups and downs this morning (laughs) uh, because I currently have the blue spinning wheel of death, which means my computer is uh, dead in the water. And I I mentioned earlier I'm sitting at a different workstation because the one I normally sit at uh, it has two monitors, and I need them both to to actually be able to do what we do. And one of them's dead. So anyway, that wheel has stopped spinning. Here's the clip. People had been disappointed before. You know, the Jets had left once before. You know, there was lots of speculation that Arizona might wind up back here. There was all kinds of speculation over the years. So any more false hope wasn't going to do anybody any good. So it was 
it was best that the way the story came out, that everything was factual and it, and it, and it was ready to go. I think the discretion that Mark mm-hmm. Chipman, True North, Jim Ludlow and company had always exhibited uh, throughout the years uh, from the first time that they presented to the NHL, I think it was in 2007 when Winnipeg stood up and declared, hey, we've got a building. You can see how well the AHL's Manitoba Moose is supported. Uh, Mark Chipman said that they tried to run that team like the unofficial 31st franchise in the National Hockey League. I'm talking about the Manitoba Moose. And then, of course, the season, the lost season of the National Hockey League just happened to coincide with that move to MTS Place from the old Winnipeg Arena. And so it was, wasn't was uncommon to see 10, 11, 12, 13, 14,000 people at AHL games that year. And then uh, True North started bringing NHL preseasons to win preseason games, pardon me, to Winnipeg, uh, typically featuring the Coyotes. And then it uh, switched to uh, two Canadian teams. Uh, the Oilers were here at least once, if not twice. And, and you know, you could just see that ramp up, that whole idea of let's prove that we're worthy. Meanwhile, all sorts of discussions going on in the background in Winnipeg, led by Mark Chipman, David Thompson, saying we are very interested. Our hand is up at the very first opportunity. We are ready to go. And they really made this happen at a moment's notice. Think about it. May 31st, that official announcement. And then the team was on the ice in September. Mm-hmm. They had to come up with a logo. They announced a team name. They had to sign players. The All the players they had, had to, to get move Shifley, to Winnipeg. number one draft a few weeks later. I mean, it was just like ramped right up, right? Oh, yeah. Ticket it sales, then draft, then jerseys, then get yes. people on the ice. It was it was something else, and, and they did it at breakneck speed, and I don't think there is another organization that could have done what they did, and I was relaying to you guys via text message. In fact, the day the announcement was made, there was a Colorado Rockies logo painted at center ice of Bell, uh, at Bell MTS Place. They were shooting the Don Cherry movie in Winnipeg at the time, and Winnipeg, uh, or uh, MTS Center was standing in for McNichol Sports Arena in Denver, at the time for the shooting. So it was all very bizarre uh, this day 10 years ago. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Daily Jets update coming up with Kelly Moore at 6.55. Right now we want to talk about anniversaries because, of course, we are marking that 10th anniversary today of the Winnipeg Jets, the announcement that they were coming, coming home to Winnipeg. So we want to talk about anniversaries. Which ones do you acknowledge? Do you weirdly remember dates beyond weddings or birthdays, etc.? Like, for example, uh, since the Friends reunion special, I have now started watching Friends again. And I think it's the fourth episode of the first season. Ross is a sad panda because he's lamenting the fact that it was the day, the anniversary of the first time he consummated his relationship with the woman who is now his ex. So, and and, his, and Joey and, and Chandler were giving him a hard time all day long. Like, seriously, man, stop whining. So anyway, text us at 204-780-6868. gift card, Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs. The weird anniversaries that you celebrate. And by saying weird, it doesn't mean it's negative. It just might be unusual. Text us at 204-780-6868. Let's go around the horn here. we got Cam Poitras, Jeff Braun, Jeff Fortier. Mr. Poitras, give us a start. I'm terrible with anniversaries. I always, like, I can, like, guess when something happened within, like, a two-month span. 
Like I usually like that. Oh yeah, I think that happened like between April and May. And if I'm <laughs> if I'm usually thinking of anniversaries, but I always remember uh, first date with my fiance, July 11th, we went to the Fringe Festival, and then August 1st was the first time that we had dinner. And it's and it's a it's a hotly contested issue because apparently I hit her with my car that day, which I did not do. <laughs> What? She walked in front. Okay, so we are sitting in the parking lot. We're at Taverna Rotos off, off Roblin. She walks in front of my car. Who does that, by the way? After it's like, okay, see you later. Gets out of my car and walks right in front. And then, of course, I start trying to, you know, I'm trying to move out of the way. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get out of there, moving my car out of the way. And then she is... She she then she then says I hit her with the car. I never felt a bump in my vehicle at all. She's it's she's not telling the truth. <laughs> I did not hit her with the car. I don't care what she says. You did. She, she, I feel no, like no, you did. No, she did. She, no, I didn't. She, <laughs> she's did. wrong. She's totally wrong. She will, she she will go to she, she will go to the grave thinking I did not. I didn't feel anything. She doesn't strike me as somebody who's wrong, ever. You should think about that for your marriage, no, too, going no, forward. No, no, no. You might want to put that into practice as well, Cam. <laughs> no. Well, I, if, I, if, you're, if you want this marriage to succeed, she is never wrong. Oh, yeah. That's how it's going to work. What year yeah. was that? Oh, uh, that would have been 2018. 2018. Wow. Look at that. She is fairly, she's, you know, she's petite. It's yes. possible you just didn't feel it because she's small didn't stature. Hit didn't hit her. <laughs> okay. I admire your conviction, Campoy. He's sticking to his guns. Jeff Braun, what about you? No, I didn't hit anybody with my <laughs> Um My girlfriend and I celebrate the, the anniversary of the day we met, which is also our first date because we met online. And uh, other than that, it's just birthdays for me uh, and, you know, the Mother's Day and Father's Day and those sort of things. And I'm looking forward, to, I look forward to July every year because it's always, July is, will be the first month since November where I didn't have to mail a card to somebody in my family for one reason or another, which I, I'm terrible at judging the timing on. I, every time I send a birthday card or a Mother's Day card, it ends up getting there four days later than it should because I can't think enough a week in advance to send a card. So uh, I'm, I've got just Father's Day to get through. Dad doesn't care if the card's late, so a little bit of the pressure's off. <laughs> Mr. Forte? I'm not too good with anniversaries. Um, I'm, I'm better with birthdays, especially my friends' birthdays. I know most of them and uh, my parents, my family. I know their birthdays. I don't know anyone's birthday. Like, I don't know yours, Brett. I don't know Greg's. I don't know Cam's, but I do know Loren's. Really? Yes. Yes. June eighteenth. June eighteenth. Yes. But why? Because my birthday's like right after. Oh. I'm June twenty fourth. <laughs> That's so it's... terrible of me. I'm like, why? I, I didn't follow the ball there. It's just super easy for me to remember. But uh... Facebook is part of the problem there. Facebook has made it yes. super easy to forget birthdays, just like our cell phones now make it super easy to forget phone numbers. Like I still remember my, if I wanted to call my friend Steve's parents in East Saint Paul, I could pick up the phone right now and call them because that number is burned into my. My brain but i if i had to call him right now i wouldn't know his number <laughs> yeah well, like i i still remember my friend Aaliyah. she's a listener of the station i still remember her uh, parents phone number from when uh, she lived at home <laughs> weird uh loren what's your anniversary okay so i am also bad with birthdays i have a friend whose birthday is in march either the 11th or the 13th and every year i'm not sure so i just usually send flowers march ish 
and have happy birthday and hope that they get there on the right <laughs> time, which is just so rude. And she knows it. She's gotten to the habit now where she'll send me a note being like, I'm going out for supper for my birthday tomorrow night. I'm like, terrific. Now I remember your birthday's tomorrow. But my husband and I have two wedding dates, which is kind of confusing because we were married in Cuba on October 21st. But to make that wedding legal, because we were getting married in a church in Cuba, we had to have a legal wedding like a civil union at some point in Canada and so we either going to do that before or after the church wedding we opted for the before and so we had these two dates the 16th is the legal wedding the 21st the church wedding we acknowledge the 21st but every year I like to wake up on the 16th and be like happy anniversary do you want to exchange gifts now and he's like what like we don't get you don't get to have two dates like pick one because he's always like 21st right we're doing the 21st and I like to mess with him almost every year <laughs> and tell him that the 16th is also a special day so okay so what we need from you at 204-780-6868 tell us about the anniversaries the weird the unusual anniversaries you might mark or just tell us a story about an anniversary at 204-780-6868 and we will award a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza at 915 <laughs> Right now, we start this hour with Manitoba's indigenous leaders, political leaders, and communities continue to mourn the discovery of the remains of 215 children at the site of a former residential school in Kamloops, B.C. Here in Winnipeg, you may have visited it yourself or perhaps seen pictures or video of the children's shoes that were carefully placed at Odena Circle at the Forks over the weekend. The goal was to have one pair of shoes represent one child found at the site in British Columbia. In the end, more than 300 pairs of shoes were gathered Saturday, and then that memorial was moved to the steps of the Manitoba legislature yesterday, Greg. Our next guest inspires us every time he visits us. Born and raised in Winnipeg, in Winnipeg's North End, an award-winning community organizer, public speaker, and proud member of Shimadawa First Nation. We welcome back to the start, Michael Redhead Champagne. Michael, thank you for taking some time with us this morning. Thank you for welcoming me this morning, even though it's such a sad topic. Yeah, and that's fair to say. I think this has been an incredibly difficult weekend for so many Canadians. This news hits hard. And personally for you, yesterday you wrote in your blog, for non-Indigenous people, please understand that Indigenous people live this every day. Uh, I just want to say that the floor is yours, Michael. Thank you very much. Um, and again, thank you for, for having me. I think I think there's a number of things that we all need to do at this point. I think the first thing um, that all of us have been seeing on social media is that there are a number of ways for us to express support to Indian residential school survivors because as horrifying as this is for all of us to hear, I can only imagine the horror for the actual survivors who went to those schools themselves. And for those of us who have been, you know, supporting those those families um, or are those families, um, my mother went to Indian residential schools. We actually have heard the stories of unmarked graves of, of many, many more children um, that suffered abuses and we don't even know the circumstances behind so many uh, kids not being able to make it home. So these 215 kids makes, I think, everybody think about their own children and, you know, rightfully everybody is horrified. And so I think um, today there's a lot of people that are calling for people to wear orange 
um, to to demonstrate. And, and, you know, usually it's in, I believe, it's September, mm-hmm. where people are wearing for Indian residential school survivors and talk about how every child matters. But I know the legislative building has been lit up and all the flags are being lowered to half mass. And a bunch of people are wearing orange today to say that they... They acknowledge the pain and the hurt that is, is, is happening right now. And it just hits so close to home for me as the son of an Indian residential school survivor and as someone who's not a product of the child welfare system. Um, this family separation that Canada does so well has so many um, historic um, stories that I don't think we know. But the Truth and Reconciliation Commission actually has been documenting this. A lot of people probably don't even know that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has something that's called a National Student Memorial Register. And on that register, there's over 4,118 kids that are documented in that register of kids that have been, um, that never returned home from residential school. And, and of course, I think many of us remember in 2019, when those 2,800 names were revealed at the end of, um, or at the uh, National Museum in Ottawa. So it's just, these are horrifying things that are happening. And for me, it does hit very close to home because it makes me think that, um, you know, how many more children are out there? How many more mass unmarked graves are out there? And so I know there are a lot of us right now that are calling for um, residential school grounds to be searched for unmarked mass graves um, and there were records of 139 residential schools in Canada and so you know that doesn't even include day schools or other types of uh, systems of family separation in this in this country and so anyway um, this is all it's all very sad and I appreciate you um, giving me the opportunity to, to share a little bit and I think the most important thing for us to do is to reach out directly to Indian residential school survivors and their families um, and offer extra mental health support and kindness at this time. Michael, you use the, we, we've heard the word history, you know, and I, I think there were statements made by leaders. This is, of course, a dark chapter in Canada's history, but there was also people speaking out to say, hang on, this isn't history yet. It's, it's living on for so many of us. And even in your own words, you talked about living it every day and how it's very much in the present for many people, like the last residential school didn't close until 1996, I think it was. And so it's very much part of the everyday life. What do we do with this information now? We can search the schools, we can honor those children's loss, but what what should we be doing as Canadians to move forward to try to, to carry this conversation forward? Well, I think what we need to do today um, is we need to examine some of those documents that residential school survivors have have shared their pain um, and experiences um, into creating things like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. And so if you haven't read those, um, read them. If you haven't committed to a specific calls to action that you want to work on as, as yourself, please commit um, to those calls to action. What was the point of those survivors sharing their story if the rest of us weren't going to take up those calls to action and make sure that no child ever experiences this ever again. And so I know there are Indigenous kids today that need support. There's a lot of kids in Manitoba um, struggling with the child welfare system. This is a system of family separation. There's so many parents that are fighting um, trying to get their kids back. They need support. There's 
there's indigenous kids that are aging out of the child welfare system. And so there's just so many um, people that need help today um, that it, that are related to people who have been to these schools. And so I know a lot of, a lot of non-indigenous people are feeling helpless right now and saying, well, what can we do? This was like something in history. But there are a lot of indigenous children and families today that need your support. And if you don't know what to do, those calls to action um, are a great place to, to, to start. Michael Redhead Champagne, thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. It's always a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so much. And again, I'm sorry it's such a heavy topic, but thank you for taking the time to, to, to discuss it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb at 204-780-6868. We wanted you to tell us a story about an anniversary. Do you have a weird one that you mark, an unusual one that you mark? Or if you just have a fond memory of some sort of anniversary, share it for a chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. We didn't have time to get to you, Greg, last half hour. What's your story? My Grammy, uh, who uh, passed away uh, almost 10 years ago now, had a very special friend. Mary Sanger was her name. And they exchanged the exact same birthday card to one another back and forth for over 50 years. Oh, that's the best. And so they would just add a note to it every year and then, and then they would mail it to one another. In fact, uh, my Grammy spent the last decade or so of her life out in uh, White Rock, B.C., and they actually did a, in the community newspaper, they did a story about this. And so it's a super uh, special part of our family history and was just sort of indicative of who my Grammy was. We always, my Grammy was always the, you know, the grandmother that you got a dollar for every uh, year you were uh, until 20, it capped out at 20. And uh, so it's uh, always uh, special to re- remember that part of, of our family history and uh, something that my my Grammy did that gained a little bit of recognition in the community. Keep your stories coming at 204-780-6868. Chance to win that Santa Lucia pizza gift card just after 9.15. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We're asking you to text us at 204-780-6868 about the weird or unusual anniversaries that you might mark or celebrate. It doesn't have to be like a bad thing. It just might be unusual. Like, for example, Greg, this great text message that we got. I find this super romantic. I don't think I could do it, but I like it a lot. My husband and I have been celebrating our month anniversary every month since we met on the 25th of every month. We met in 1998 and we celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary in September. Thanks for that. That is that is wonderful, very romantic and uh yeah, what a what a great gesture, Loren. I love it. I don't think I could keep up. I don't think my husband could keep up, but for those who can, have at her. Keep those texts coming, 204-780-6868, gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. And we're talking anniversaries, of course, because today marks the 10th anniversary that we found out the Jets are coming back. So we'll have more on that in our next segment and after Global News at 8 o'clock with former Winnipeg Jet great Jim Kite. In the meantime, of course, another story we're following, Loren, is that just horrific discovery in B.C., yeah, that's the discovery of the remains of 215 children from the Kamloops Indian Residential School, the former residential school that's had 
all sorts of reactions right across the country. Of course, flags have been lowered at City Hall, lowered at the legislature. The legislature also put on that orange, uh, lit up in orange. So did IGF, so did the Winnipeg sign. All sorts of tributes pouring in. And another one that's happening, Michael Redhead Champagne, community activist, was on with us at 7. And he said, start today with acknowledging the loss and the pain. Put on that orange shirt, the orange representing uh, residential school survivors. Or another thing that people have started to do is put out shoes for the kids to represent lives lost. So shoes were placed at Odena Circle over the weekend, several hundred pairs to represent those kids. Well, you can also see on social media people putting out shoes on their front steps to acknowledge the loss and to continue the conversation, Brett. And right now we want to continue the conversation on vaccines because on Saturday my day turned out a lot differently than I expected, very much like on Monday, April 19th. That was the day that we learned that if you're 40 and up, you can now go out and get the AstraZeneca vaccine. They made the announcement at 10 a.m. and just said, you can do this right now. So I booked my appointment and I had, I had my first shot in my arm at 12 p.m. that day. So I was not expecting that on that day. And on Saturday, I got my second shot. So six weeks later, and I will start by saying the fact that I went early because the recommendation is 12 weeks, right, for maximum efficiency. I will start by saying this wasn't a panic decision. I didn't do it because I was worried I won't get a second dose. Dr. Joss Reimer and the vaccine task force have been super clear all through this that those who got the first AstraZeneca and want the second will get a vaccine, whether it's AZ or Pfizer or Moderna. They're still watching the research on mixing the vaccines. Uh, But for me, this all started last week. The idea to go early was planted in my head by a friend. There's a line in the movie Inception. Of course, I take it to movies, couch potatoes, where Leonardo DiCaprio says, once an idea takes hold in the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. And that's what happened with me. A friend who got her first shot, AstraZeneca, four days after I did, she went to get her second shot at a walk-in clinic last Saturday at Shoppers Drug Mart in Osborne Village. So I kind of started thinking about it. So, you know, got my shot on the April 19th, 12 weeks later, puts me at July 12th. Uh, should I get it early? And then that seed of an idea began to grow through the week. So I go for a walk Saturday afternoon. It's around 1 p.m. I see this big lineup in front of the, li- the liquor mart at Osborne and River. So I thought, is there like a blowout sale on Cabo Wabo tequila or something? Like, Greg, I know you just got a bottle for your birthday <laughs> from a friend, but I thought maybe I should get in line and get you another one. Or maybe it's boxed wine sale for Loren. I don't know. Uh, but then I peeked around the corner and realized the lineup was pointing to shoppers and thought they are doing another vaccination walk-in. So I got home from my walk 45 minutes later, sat on the couch for 30 minutes debating, should I do it? Should I do it? And then I just said, ah, I got back up and went back downstairs to the shoppers. I mean, it's right next door from where I live. I brought headphones with me so I could listen to music because I knew I was going to be in line for an hour. There were like four dozen people online when I walked by the first time. Uh, turns out I didn't listen to any music because I proceeded to melt my brain over the course of that hour, staring at my phone, pouring through research on effectiveness for six weeks versus 12 weeks. Well, it's up to 90% for 12 weeks, maybe even 10 weeks, but just around 60% at six weeks. I don't know. And then I learned as I was in that lineup that apparently earlier that day, Health Canada had granted an extension on some doses of AstraZeneca that were set to expire, moving that expiry date from May 31st to July 1st. But I couldn't find anything specific to Manitoba because most of the stories that were online were Ontario-centric. But I still wondered, well, if they're not about to expire, maybe I should wait. And I almost, guys, I almost bailed out of that line 17 times, like even when I got right to the front. The four people in front of me went in. I then had to wait a couple more minutes, and I almost jumped ship 
But when it was my turn, in I went, I got the shot, and now I'm 100% at peace with my decision, which is unlike me. When I make big decisions, I'm always regretting, like, should I have done the opposite of what I just did? But I, I waited out and realized this feels right for me. Uh, and in getting it early, I would say I'm not saying Anyone else who got that shot should do the same. I just decided this way. I can stop fretting about when my next shot's going to be and what it will be, i.e. AstraZeneca or the other ones. Plus, I work downtown in an office tower, 201 Portage. The lobby and courtyard are under heavy construction, so all the access and entry points into this building are super tight. I cross paths with a lot of people every day. I take a cab to work most days. Sometimes I get in the cab and find someone's dumped their French fries on the floor or left a mask on the floor. So for me, I just I had access and opportunity to get my shot now and get some extra protection now so that if I get COVID, it will hopefully keep me out of an ICU bed. Uh, so I went to bed uh, and rested easy. No side effects the next day. Although today, weirdly enough, my arm is sore. So a bit of a delay on that. But that's it, uh, because the first shot was not fun for me. And I guess it's, I should also mention, I believe if you call your pharmacist or doctor, they'll likely tell you to wait 12 weeks. At least that's what I've heard anecdotally. Uh, but I was able to get my shot no problem at this walk-in. And uh, another thing that makes me okay with going early, they wouldn't have given me the shot if it was a terrible idea. So that's... That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And GMAC, your boys got your shot over the weekend as well. Yeah, they didn't have to wait in a great big giant lineup like you did. And uh, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I, my heart was warm uh, seeing how many people decided to jump into line for this pop-up clinic and to get, whether it was their first or their second shot of the AstraZeneca. So, uh, you know... The demand is obviously there, and the demand was at Selkirk in the old hospital. That's where they've set up the clinic, up in Selkirk, and uh, that was just very convenient for us, geographically speaking, actually more convenient than RBC just because of the corner of the city that we live in. And we went up Saturday morning, and uh, the boys were in and out of there in about 45 minutes, including their 15-minute sort of cooling off period so they could observe and make sure they didn't have any adverse reactions to the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, the nurse that administered the, the shot was terrific, very informative, didn't treat them like kids or babies, was very, you know, matter of fact with them, joked around with them, but also, you know, informed them what they were going through and asked them if they were cool with it and all the different things. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to the folks, anybody who's involved in this effort to get us all vaccinated as quickly as possible, uh, keeping, I assume, a smile on your face, can't tell because of the masks, but just the way the demeanor everybody uh, you know shared and, and exhibited on Saturday was extraordinary. And as far as I know, Loren, that's been the experience of, of most Manitobans when, when getting their vaccinations. Yeah, so let us know what you think. 780-6868. Did you make a choice like Brett? Are you in line for the second shot? Are you still waiting for that date when they open it up for you? What are you thinking? There's lots to digest and it's and it's constantly changing. So what's the advice and what are you listening to? Let us know. 780-6868. I will also point out, I forgot to mention this, I had to sign a consent form. Uh, right. And this is something that Dr. Reimer had pointed to as well. I had to sign a consent form saying I acknowledge and accept the fact that 
the recommendation is 12 weeks, but I'm, I want to get it early anyway. Uh, so if that's something that you end up doing, just be prepared to sign a consent form for that. And the question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Once every Manitoban has had the chance to get a shot, do you think venues like restaurants should only serve vaccinated people? And an overwhelming 90% say no, 10% say yes. Cast your vote, cjob.com. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Scott Brown. I am the Director of Corporate Communications for True North Sports and Entertainment, and I'd like to thank those of you here today at MTS Centre for joining us, and would also like to thank those of you tuning in live across the city, across the province, and across the country on either television, radio, or streaming live on the internet. Today's announcement is one that many have been waiting for with great anticipation for the past 16 years. Today marks the most significant announcement thus far as it relates to the city of Winnipeg, the province of Manitoba, True North Sports and Entertainment, and the National Hockey League. To make that announcement, I'd like to call upon the chairman of the board of True North Sports and Entertainment, Mr. Mark Chipman. I am excited beyond words to announce our purchase of the Atlanta Thrasher. Ten years ago today, the Jets fans hit the streets to celebrate the news, Loren. The NHL was that finally the <laughs> NHL was coming back to Winnipeg. Yeah, we've been saying this morning that, of course, rumors have been swirling for days and all sorts of speculation. We knew it was happening, but it wasn't until Mark Chippen said those words that True North had purchased the Atlanta Thrashers that the celebration, Greg, truly began. Now, uh, our next guest, I always think of him as typically unflappable. And it's, he's standing at the podium, kicked it all off, and you heard his voice at the start of this clip. And with us now, again, Scott Brown, Senior Director of Hockey Communications of the Winnipeg Jets Hockey Club. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing all right. Take us back to that moment 10 years ago. What was going on behind the scenes? And, and, and how much trepidation was there until there was uh, – it was ink on paper and signatures and, and the deal was officially done. Can you give us some insight as what was going on behind the scenes before the announcement was made? Well, uh, the story I've told many times, the, the night that I, I didn't leave work till quite uh, late the night before, um, I actually don't know why I left that late considering you're not going to have a press conference or a press release at 11 at night, but I waited till 11 at night to leave work the night before and, I was told that when I left work, it wasn't a done deal. There was a very real possibility that the next day I would be sending a press release, which basically said for everybody to stand down for another year. And Because we didn't want this to drag on. The, league, the National Hockey League had told us once the Stanley Cup final starts, there'll be no announcement which distracts from the Stanley Cup final between Boston and Vancouver that year. That was a big year for them, considering a Canadian team was in the Stanley Cup final. And we had kind of informed the National Hockey League that we couldn't wait until the middle of June or late into June to try to uh, you know, you to start a ticket drive. Didn't give us enough time to get things going. So it was very clear that uh, for both sides, if anything was going to happen, it was going to happen on May 31st, 2011, or it was not going to happen for the 2011-2012 season. So 
So I knew waking up that morning I was going to be doing something. Either we were going to be incredibly unpopular for that day or we were going to be incredibly popular. So it was uh, very, very much up in the air uh, still overnight on uh, May uh, 30th, May 31st. Now you work for True North, but you're also a massive hockey fan as well, Scott. So was it hard for you to hold your emotions in check? Uh, That day on the 31st? I would say I didn't, <laughs> you know, and you guys know this, when you get going on the 31st after Mark Chipman had called me, uh, you know, I would say around 5.30, quarter to six, telling me that it was a go and you can send the press release. And I had to ask him, which, which one am I sending? And he goes, you're sending the big one. And then you just kind of get into work mode. And, and I, I had spent the year building up in myself how significant this moment was going to be. I was well aware that that day the eyes of the hockey world, the international hockey world, if not the entire sporting world that day, were going to be on Winnipeg. They were going to be on a press conference, not a game, which is very rare that the significant moment in history is a press conference. Um, so I, I knew the magnitude of that moment uh, in the grand scheme of things. So you just start going through the things that you know you spent the year preparing that you needed to do. Um, getting people in the building, getting without letting them know what exactly was going on. Although by that point in time, it was probably the worst kept secret. What, uh, <laughs> what was happening that morning, getting everybody on the television stations around would know this working for working for global back then. I mean, you, you, you weren't allowed, we weren't allowed to tell you what was going on, but we had to allow TV stations the time to get properly set up get their preparation, uh, their live hits into the building. We had national media flying in that morning. So you, you very much don't have a lot of time to think about what's going on and what the significance of the day is until it's over. One of my biggest regrets in life is that day I didn't stop to smell the roses. I had no idea what was going on at, at the Forks. I had no idea there were hundreds of fans in the building, in the lobby. No idea what was going on in Portage and Maine. I walked into the Tavern United after the press conference was over to uh, to do a radio appearance. The place was packed. It erupted. It all was lost on me, and, and I kind of was on that radio uh, show talking about the significance of the moment. I got emotional on the show, and then when I got home with my wife, I uh, was very emotional when I got home at the end of the day. So, no, I didn't keep my emotions in check very well that day. Tell us about why that is. I mean, I, I saw people crying. I had tears. I even thinking back to it had tears, and I'm not sure why it weighed so heavily on so many people until we heard Mark say those words, Scott. But the, the emotions rose up, and I don't know if it's because it felt like Winnipeg needed to know we deserve to have that team back, or it was just about the hockey itself. But for you, what drove you to those tears at the end of the day? For me, it was to be involved in something that I knew was going to alter the, the history of the city. I mean, when the team left in 1996, that altered the history of Winnipeg. Uh, you know, Mark Chipman makes the argument that it, that it altered it in the end for the better because we as a city proved uh, that we were more than just a, a professional hockey team. Uh, we improved the downtown in some areas without that or, or, or working to get the Winnipeg Jets back in some areas, improved the downtown. But at the same time, you realize what the return of the NHL is going to be in terms of the significance in the history of the city. And it, I, that wasn't lost on hundreds and thousands of people that live here. And, and for me, I was the same way. The significance of the moment and what it was going to lead to 
down the road and to be a part of it and to be an intimate part of it uh, was it, it was really overwhelming to me that when I stopped to think about it at the end of the day, which I didn't during the day at all. <laughs> Scott so. Brown, Senior Director of Hockey Communications for the Winnipeg Jets Hockey Club, joining us live on CJOB. Scott, thank you for this wonderful trip down memory lane. No problem, guys. Thank you very much. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, before we introduce our next guest as we continue to celebrate today, the 10th anniversary of the day we learned the Winnipeg Jets were coming back to Winnipeg. We're asking you to tell us about the anniversaries that you mark, whether they're unusual or weird or fun or quirky, like Greg Shelley sent us a really cool one. Yeah, Shelley says that uh, she's been in a competition with one of her friends forever and a day to be the first to wish the, each other happy birthday, Dale Howarchuk. April 4th is Dale Howarchuk's birthday. And so they've always celebrated. And so it's always a competition between the two of them as to who will wish it to one another first. And Shelly says she's been winning the last few years because she lives in Nova Scotia now. So she, the, yeah. the clock is on her side. <laughs> so keep- she also called it hashtag high school crush. So that's how it started, right? The crush. And then you never forget mm-hmm. your first crush mm-hmm. and I guess their birthday. <laughs> so I love that. 204-780-6868. Keep those texts coming. We'll give away the Santa Lucia pizza gift card just after 9.15. Now, as mentioned, off the top of the show today is going to take many twists and turns emotionally. This is not an apology. It's just a heads up. Yeah, and today our feel-good story is that of a special anniversary. Throughout the day, we're going to be reliving the day 10 years ago that the NHL made its official return to Winnipeg. I had mentioned that's when me and my husband and our firstborn took off to the Forks so that we could be part of the celebration. And then, of course, the next day, the scramble or the days after, you know, secure those tickets. And so, so many memories flooding to the forefront this morning, Greg. Yeah, and for me, the return of the Jets marked something so many had only dreamt about for 15 years. The Jets had always brought my family and friends together in an indescribable way. And we welcome back to CGOB, somebody who wore a Jets jersey for parts of seven seasons. We say good morning to Jim Kite. How are you, Jim? Good morning. How are you? Apologies for missing earlier today. I didn't tell my alarm clock last night. Hey, you know what? We'll, we'll 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 share responsibility on that. That's what good teammates do. And you were a member of the Jets from '82, '83, all the way through till '88, '99. And Jim, uh, I don't know how comfortable it is for you to acknowledge this, but you were easily one of the most popular players on the team. For those who weren't Jets fans in that era, can you explain just how important the Jets were to the community and the connection the players had with the fans back then? Well, I would think it would be very similar to the Jets of today, but uh, the difference might be the access. The uh, we had the, we parked in the parking lot outside the arena, and we saw the fans all the way in and all the way out. So we were very, very close to the fans and very accessible to the fans uh, at the games, whether before or after. And uh, I guess from a, yeah, we had goals for kids, and that was a, a big fundraising activity within the community from a financial perspective, and certainly the Jets still continue to do that today. I guess one, one of the things was uh, I thought that the Jets really put the city of Winnipeg on the map. And the reason why I say that, uh, my wife 
uh, my girlfriend at the time was uh, going to school in New Zealand, and I was flying down to New Zealand. I was on a plane, and this little boy comes up to me from Fiji, and he said, do you play for the Winnipeg Jets? And I said, uh, yeah, absolutely I do. And I said, how did you know? And he said, well, I saw you play on TV when I was visiting a friend in, in uh, Vancouver. I, so he had saw me once. And he knew from that point forward uh, where the city of Winnipeg was. So that's just a really small, uh, I'm on my way to New Zealand. A little boy comes up to me, and he, just because he saw me on TV, he knew about the Winnipeg Jets, and certainly he had looked up where the city of Winnipeg was. So the Jets were, put the city on the map, with all due respect to the Blue Bombers and so forth, but it's an international uh, league. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate. I loved playing in the city. The people were fantastic. And uh, I still have very, very fond memories of my time there. For the 15 years in between the move of the Jets to Arizona and the Atlanta Thrashers move to Winnipeg, people always talked about the Jets coming back. It was always the Jets. What was it like for you when you found out the NHL was returning to Winnipeg? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it would, they should never have left in the first place, but uh, because certainly from a fan perspective, there was always a very good, strong fan base there. And uh, it just wasn't economically feasible at the time in the, in the arena that we were playing in. No, I wasn't there when the Jets actually left, but it, I thought it was a, a tragedy when the Jets originally left the, left the city and I knew it would be very difficult for them to come back. And thankfully, you know, Mark Chipman and David Thompson and, and the ownership uh, is second and none in the National Hockey League. And, they uh, were able to convince the National Hockey League to return to the league uh, and uh, got the Atlanta Thrashers to, to move back. I was thrilled the fact that they, there was a bit of a dispute whether it was going to be called Jets or not. And uh, I was certainly in the camp of the Jets. Certainly if I look back on if I had played in Colorado for the Colorado Rockies and the team returned to Denver, and they, you know, they, and they call themselves the Avalanche, there'd be a real disconnect from a historical perspective uh, between the two franchises. So I'm really thrilled to say that I played for the Winnipeg Jets, and that's, uh, it wouldn't be some distant former NHL team like the, like the Rockies in, in Denver. So, uh, yeah, I think it's fantastic. It's something that the, the you know, the, uh, the generation certainly identify with the name Jets, and I was thrilled that it was called the Jets. You talked about the Mark Chipman and the ownership, and they've worked really hard, Jim, to create a bond between the alumni, people like yourself, players like yourself, and the, and the Jets 2.0, and that was highlighted at the Heritage Classic. What can you say about the way you were just treated that weekend, you know, all those years later, and just the love that came down for uh, the 1.0 version? Well, uh, yeah, kudos to Mark Chipman uh, and certainly David Thompson. Uh, but Mark Chipman was really the, the, uh, the driving force behind that, and it was really nice to see. There wasn't really a lot of connection to the team in the first few years of the franchise. Certainly, it's pretty hard to ignore Dale Holichuk, but um, and the people who lived in Winnipeg, but they, uh, it really solidified over Alumni Weekend and, and uh, the fact that we played our nemesis, the Edmonton Oilers, back in the 80s, and we were successful in winning the alumni game. 
was uh, was a you know having so many fans. It was a, an amazing, amazing weekend. My family had come out. My kids had never really seen me play. Not that that to say that was a, a, a classic example of the way I played, but it was nice to have them come out and watch the game. And it was great memories. And uh, it wasn't just the guys that played, but also a whole bunch of players came from out of town that were not playing in the game. So uh, uh, we saw it was, it was a true jet reunion uh, of the present and the past. It was really wonderful to see. Jim Kite, former Winnipeg Jet. Great. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on this great day. Thank you very much for having me. In the meantime, it's Monday, just after 8.30. And today, on this day, we mark the 10th anniversary, of course, of the return of the NHL to Winnipeg. And uh, in case you're uh, keeping track at home, today's celebration is 33 days following the 25th anniversary, that being April 28, 1996, of the day the Jets left for Arizona. Bob Irving joins us now. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. Well, one of the things I, that I always have to make sure gets discussed whenever we're talking about the legacy of the Jets or the excitement about the Jets and their return is that the Jets and the have always been about more than hockey. I love my kids. I hug them a lot. But let me tell you, during those triple overtime victories last week, uh, we were hugging a lot and high-fiving a lot and spending a lot of time together. And and my relationship with my dad was really fostered over our common love of the Jets. And, and the Jets, Bob, were our ambassadors to the world for so many years. Jim Kite just told us a terrific story about being recognized on his way to New Zealand by a boy from Fiji who had seen him play on television. The Jets logo took us all over the world beginning in the 1970s, didn't it, Bob? Yeah, it sure did. I can remember being in Hawaii many, many years ago in Honolulu, and uh, somebody who was living there asked me where I was from, and I said Winnipeg, and they immediately said, oh, the Jets. So what you say, Greg, is totally true it's funny you know when you think about the return of the team 10 years ago today i think back to 1996 when the team left to go to phoenix and there was a big farewell at the winnipeg arena and the arena was packed don cherry uh, came in for the goodbye to the jets and i was emceeing the event and when i you know welcomed everybody and said we're here to say farewell to the winnipeg jets they started booing and it really bothered my kids. They said, Dad, they're booing you. I said, no, no, they're not booing me. They're booing the situation. Uh, anyway, it was quite a – I'll never forget the scenario. And when it, when it was over, uh, I walked out of the arena with the thousands of other fans who packed it, and you could hear a pin drop. It was like a funeral. We've lost the Winnipeg Jets. That will never, never be in the National Hockey League again. But to the everlasting credit of Mark Chipman – Uh, He made one thing change significantly, and that was the building of a new arena, because without the new arena, no chance, no chance we got the Atlanta Thrashers. And Mark played his cards perfectly, unlike some other prospective owners of NHL teams. He didn't backdoor the league or try to, you know, buy a a franchise without going through the proper protocols. Uh, He got uh, really, I think, in the good books of Commissioner Gary Bettman. And lo and behold, in 2011... Uh, we were back in the NHL with the Atlanta Thrashers. And I was one of the people who in 1996 said, we will never, ever see the NHL back here again. But I did have one caveat. I said, unless 
we get an arena, a new arena. If we do that, then I think we have a shot, and that's the way it turned out. Well, you talked about Mark Chipman there, and, and he really practiced patience uh, and, and working slowly but surely to get this team to Winnipeg. And so now here we are, uh, 10 years later, Bob, talking about the Winnipeg Jets in the playoffs, and they're going to yeah. either face Montreal or Toronto beginning Wednesday. Where do you stand on the rust versus rest debate? Because we'll, we'll be coming on 10 days by the time round yeah. two starts. Well, I think you can argue both cases, and history would tell you, Loren, that uh, teams that are well-rested, typically the, the theory has been that if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you need to finish off some of your series fairly early so you don't wear yourself out. That's been the, sort of the typical view, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. But there are also examples of teams that you know play seven hard, tough games and then roll in and beat a team that's that's coming off a rest period. So. I think you could make the argument either way, but if I had to choose, I'd choose the route the Jets are going. It gives you a chance to get healthy. Uh, the season is a long grind. The playoffs are an even uh, bigger grind because it's much more physical. So I think when you get some downtime, it is to your advantage. Having said that, there are no guarantees, right, because we've seen it go the other way. But if I was the Winnipeg Jets, I'd be quite thrilled to have had this time off. And you're going to face a team in round two, that's coming off a grueling seven-game series, and that should be, it should be to your advantage. This Toronto-Montreal series, is this a choke job by the Leafs or resilience <laughs> on the part of the Canadians? Well, the many hundreds or maybe even thousands of people here in Manitoba who don't like the Leafs, and I know there are some who do, Brett, so I will uh, you know, acknowledge that. <laughs> but to the many who don't like them and who, as a matter of fact, hate them, and I know some people... That's a strong word for sports, but I know some people who feel that way about anything from Toronto. This is a choke job. Uh, You know, I don't necessarily see it that way, but here's the deal. If the Leafs lose this series, it will mark another year where Toronto has failed miserably in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the fans of the Leafs will be beside themselves, especially since they had a 3-1 series lead. I think this is the best Toronto team in any number of years that has gone into the playoffs. They were heavily favored to beat Montreal first against fourth. And if they lose tonight, boy, the wrath of whatever will come down on the players. Oh, they couldn't come through in the crutch. They couldn't handle the pressure. And on and on it will go. So I tell you what, there's a lot of pressure on the Toronto Maple Leafs to win this game tonight. Yeah, maybe their best team since 93 when we were one game away from seeing Toronto-Montreal in the Stanley Cup final. Hey, Bob, real quick before we let you run, I want to go back to the the funeral as so many people, plain and simply, called it. And of course, the Jets ended up with one more season in Winnipeg after time sort of ran out on moving the team to Minneapolis at that time. And uh, just, you know, it's incredible when you look back on that. The, The Thomas Steen situation, the Jets had offered him an opportunity to get traded at the deadline to a contender he said no I don't want to go anywhere uh, the Jets retired his number that day he ended up in hospital because he was so sick about the fact that the Jets were leaving and then his son Alexander we always remember him standing tears in his eyes and he goes on to have a thousand game plus career in the National Hockey League Stanley Cup champion just incredible to look back on that day and and some of the foreshadowing and some of the things that we never imagined we might see that happened after that day. No, that's true. There's a, an incredible history and all sorts of stories. Uh, Greg, you just touched on one of those. And I think I would maybe close this off by saying hockey fans here should be eternally grateful 
to Mark Chipman because he made it happen. He refused to give up on the dream of bringing the NHL back. He got the arena built uh, against strong opposition and lots of uh, people who said, oh, you can't get it done. You shouldn't build it downtown. It's a stupid idea. He just forged ahead. He forged a partnership with David Thompson. We asked Gary Bettman on uh, May 31st, 2011, you know, did it play a role in uh, bringing the NHL back to Winnipeg that Mark Chipman was aligned with one of the richest men in Canada? And Gary Bettman smiled and said, it sure did. So, you know, give Chipman all the credit in the world. He's the guy who made it happen, and fans here should never forget that. Bob Irving joins us every Monday after the 8.30 news. A pleasure as always, sir. Thank you very much. Okay, you guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on The Start. We have a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza that we're giving away based on your text messages on anniversaries because, of course, today is the 10th anniversary of the day we found out the Winnipeg Jets were returning. And we want to know from you about the potentially weird or unusual anniversaries that you mark or acknowledge or if you just have an anniversary story that you want to share and we've gotten some really fun ones and some really sweet ones here like do you see uh, for example this anniversary number 13 greg yes today is our 13th dating anniversary so happy anniversary to you yes we celebrate our dating anniversary we share the same birth date different years i wonder who's older who's younger and who's sharing this information today i suspect the younger person uh so we enjoy having another date to celebrate us however i rarely remember the date and my husband has great fun reminding me thank goodness for facebook memories <laughs> now, uh, i've got the date down pat yes facebook i think saves us on so many fronts when it comes to special occasions and this next one says our number is 16 we met on july 16th and just celebrated our 40th anniversary on May 16th for the past 40 years on the 16th of every month. It is a joke. Who can wish the other one happy anniversary first (laughs) and declare themselves the winner? Corny, but that's us. That is cute. One of my buddies used to mark him and his girlfriend would, uh, this was years ago, they they, they were big on the month-aversaries. And after month six, uh, he said that it was their month anniversary dinner, and we we would all we would all just rail on him like, oh come on, man! Like the month anniversary, seriously? Like drop it after six months. After that, it goes you know a year, and then after that, it's just every year you're gonna do the month anniversaries. But he was romantic, and so was she. And apparently, I'm a uh, well, I always say I'm an uncultured lout. So that was yeah. proof right there. But you'll uh, put up with years of cat allergies, but you won't do a month anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, keep in mind, I was 20 years old at the time. So <laughs> at that so time, he is was, still a little bit of a grumpy Gus. So I, I was just, I was a young, stupid idiot uh, then. So now I'm just an older, stupid idiot. Loren, we got a great story, though, for the win. Yeah, this is based on the fact that Fort J, Jeff Fortier was saying he can't remember anyone's birthdays, particularly those that he works with, but for some reason he remembers mine. Just yours. Which is just mine. <laughs> just yours. <laughs> which is June 18th, because yours is what, Fortier? Mine's the, the 24th of June. 
Yeah, so it's got nothing to do with me. It's just close proximity to Fort Jay's date. Okay, so this listener texted in to say, hey, funny thing, my first marriage was June 18th, and I had two uncles who had their birthday then as well. My favorite uncle was my MC, and I got him and my other uncle a birthday cake, so it was a great celebration at the time, they add. However, the strangest date was my mother's. Back when my parents were born, they were delivery by midwife. So dates of birth were not really written down then, they say. Fast forward to when my mom needed to get her birth certificate. We always celebrated her birthday September 18th. She found out her actual birthday was October 8th, 1922. So she actually gained a whole year or lost a year. She was almost a year older than she thought she was. So I made a joke that my dad and her weren't legally married because she lied on the marriage certificate. (laughs) And this listener says, until mom died, I called her on September 18th and October 8th to wish her happy birthday. Nice. That Very is a cool. wonderful story. Thank Except you so much. Except for losing the year. I lost a year just on the weekend. When I, when my husband said, you're you're 44, I was like, I am not. I'm turning 43. And he said, nope. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You've been living I mean, in denial for 350 just, just days? <laughs> I was like, no, that's not right. And then he just stared at me like... <laughs> Do the math. I'm like, you do the math. (laughs) You did the math, apparently. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.